0: Should we do a follow up on last week's banter v trolling? Of course. Okay,
1: dude, it got hella heated. Dude, I was so tired last night. I like,
0: I don't understand how this subject could result in a heated discussion. Like, I you you messaged off, me and you were like, "Yo, I'm in an intense conversation," and I was like, "About what?" It
1: was like 10, 30, or eleven. I was ready to go to sleep. Well, I wasn't ready to go to sleep. I was just tired, and I got in this conversation. This uh conversation with a friend he's like i totally side with sharice
0: i'm shaking my head over here
1: and i to be honest you know what it's like when you argue with someone online like in a text form there's not a lot of nuance so yeah you're interpreting what they're saying they're interpreting what you're saying in a certain way and you might be like overlapping but not on the same wavelength yeah totally. and i feel there's a little bit of that
0: This is Making It Up, co-hosted by myself, Charisse Poon, and Eugene Kahn. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Megan, which is original storytelling at its purest through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals.
1: Making Up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in.
0: We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really, we are working through things, and we appreciate you working through them with us.
1: If you like what you hear and want to help us keep going, you can support us on patreon.com slash Let's get into it.
0: Yeah, I thought you guys were in the same place and like drinking together and then arguing about this. No,
1: I just got a very aggressive WhatsApp message from Jason. I totally side with Sharice.
0: Okay, Um, I think you should go first because I think my subject is a good follow-up on yours. Kind of yours is the big picture about movement. And then mine is like a very specific example.
1: All right. My topic this week is Yancy Strickler, founder of Kickstarter, pens a piece called Data is Fire. I should preface that fire was an emoji.
0: I mean, if you want to.
1: It's also. Are you what trying you call to say it?
0: that it could be data is flame?
1: Because when you see the emoji, it's like fire as in like dope. I think that I actually makes a difference. I
0: genuinely don't think it makes the difference. I, but I, I'm not going to look argue further with you, into you it. about it.
1: Anyways, here I am looking. Too deep into things. You're
0: looking again. to pick an argument. No. Off the bat.
1: All right. All right. No. All right. No, no. Data
0: is Fire by Yancey okay. Strickler.
1: So, this piece starts off with a highlight of how growth systems have changed. And in terms of growth systems, like when I'm not entirely sure what he means is it business? Is it culture? It could be all of them, actually. But he doesn't like specifically say this is what it represents. Uh, and basically, it was a screenshot of a tweet. And he stated the following The old growth system prioritized quantity making new stuff, the short term, capturing value, protecting the pie, serving individuals, and only me. While new growth represents quality, reusing existing stuff, long term, creating value, growing the pie, serving the communities, and all of us. So I think that you can kind of take this and you can slot it into different pillars. Like it could be how you run a business how culture should operate, et cetera. So I don't actually don't think it makes a big difference as to the specificity of it.
0: No, I think it's just an approach.
1: Yeah. And then Yancey also goes on to draw an analogy, which relates back to the title. Uh, and this analogy about fire suggests, not suggests, it's true. I mean, fire was critical to the early development of civilization and that it's both a tool and a potential danger.
0: It's a great metaphor.
1: Yes, I think it's great. And likewise, today, Data is our equivalent of fire, right? It's both dangerous and useful. And for Yancy, he clarifies that data means information about human activity that is collected, processed, and used. And while data surrounds us, it's relatively new in its current form. And the data we know as today is less than a generational. That means like this massive funnel that's constantly recording data and sucking it in, right? That, that previously wasn't as accessible.
0: It just previously didn't exist the way it does.
1: Well, he does say that data collection was just expensive and time-consuming.
0: That's true. I mean, I guess the census has been running for a long time.
1: Yes. So I'm, I'm sure the there's taxes. some capacity of it. Okay. I mean, as long as there's been trade, like, you probably need to keep track of my inventory of grain.
0: Right. right. No, of course. Yeah. I mean, of course, data in some way has existed since civilization began like you said you know people have been trading goods but the data i think that yancy's referring to and I, i'm just trying to say that i agree with him is relatively new
1: yeah so. and then he goes on to further designate new forms of value have been created based on data since we're capable of tracking it so readily
0: mm-hmm. so
1: he includes time so this is the common currency for our digital era because it represents in some ways engagement Uh, You play a video game and you level up based off how much time you spend, for example. Sure. So you have loyalty. Measuring one's loyalty to reward them with something. And use an example of an Adele concert ticket where only the most quote unquote loyal were able to buy the tickets versus someone who might have, you know, used a bot or something. Yeah. Or got to the or were lucky to win the opportunity.
0: They somehow figured out who were her actual fans rather than just people who were casual
1: and the last one being social desirability, such as social scoring systems. He uses the example of China and their social credit system. But in the U.S., they've been running something for a while.
0: A it's credit your, score. Your credit essentially. score, right? Yeah, it's, if you're getting a loan or if you're trying to buy a house. Look at that.
1: It's not as probably deep and profound, but it's kind of the same premise.
0: I mean, it's not as black mirror as it sounds, essentially.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then most recently, he... Makes mention of two ways in which algorithms have messed up, and they both were based around student scores.
0: I take issue with you saying that how algorithms messed up. How to say? Like the algorithm is not the person making the decision. The algorithm
1: is the outcome of someone's is al- of someone's
0: Yeah. So instead of saying like algorithms fucked up, it, you could instead say that people deployed algorithms in a fucked up way.
1: Okay. Does Let's that make sense that what thing. I'm saying? Like, yes. like the
0: algorithm wasn't, didn't have like some malicious bug in it that accidentally went wrong. It was people making a decision to run an algorithm when maybe they shouldn't have.
1: I actually like what you mentioned there on the basis that in some ways, it creates far more accountability when you position it around the decisions of a human yeah. versus some non-sentient black box.
0: Yeah, and it sounds too much like, oh, there was a glitch in the system, you know? Like, kind of like how our when, computers have bugs. When we say, like, the algorithm messed up, it sounds like, oh, we didn't know it was going to do that, and it messed up. But in
1: actuality, it was doing exactly what yeah. it was supposed yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 100% valid. That's a good point. So in the UK some students had their scores adjusted upwards because they had come from better schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think this had something to do with like COVID testing, like COVID exam testing. And the opposite happened in the United States where people from less affluent areas had their scores improved relative to people that were from a, a better socioeconomic standing.
0: Yeah, it's so weird. Basically in the UK, they rewarded people of better socioeconomic standing. And in the US, they report people of, Lower socioeconomic standing, but the same problem exists in both in trying to like put a number to adversity in people's lives and how much that has affected their ability to do academics. Yeah,
1: We generally dislike algorithms, and I think a reason is because of their uncertainty and the fact they're unknown. I, I think that at its core, there's value in algorithms, and there's probably algorithms that are adding value to our lives. But because they have less of an impact in the negative sense yeah then we don't really highlight them and what i mean by negative sense i think we've discussed at length like the mental impacts of social media for example yeah right there's a lot of things and even prior like how does your standing within the sort of hierarchy or totem pole of society and culture influence your future in terms of your test scores
0: i think one thing that's Frustrating about algorithms is that yeah, it feels like a black box. Like we can't understand it, and also no one has bothered to make it understandable. There, there doesn't seem to be enough easy, easily accessible literature or writing on how the algorithm works. Because it makes you feel like you're playing. This is my metaphor. Makes you play like feel like you're playing a video game where you don't know the what, rules yeah where you way. don't know the rules you don't know what your actions result in whereas like well-designed video games you know like if i do this then it's plus 100 if i do this then it's minus 50 and it's like everything is clearly explained to you in terms of like what's causal but yeah. algorithms
1: but i actually the way think we interact your, with them aren't like your it. suggestion there might actually parlay into this next point where going forward our change in value systems in digital culture may want us to have a more democratic access to our data mm. right and beyond that one thing that hopefully will shift is that currently a lot of algorithms that we interact with day to day or the ones that are more the most pronounced let's say that are the ones that have an underlying sort of market intent behind it so you're leveraging the algorithm for market purposes like marketing to sell you more things etc it's actually not done in a way to better your life which is in one in one sense what yancy's pushing yeah right
0: i was about to say some people might feel that being targeted for correct ads is bettering their life but
1: sure i mean yeah it's, I, I think that's it's probably in some ways not valid.
0: a widespread opinion
1: well i mean we we have sort of made that distinction that good advertising is relevant advertising Mm -hmm. right so i think that
0: i mean if i have to see advertising i prefer relevant over irrelevant advertising but it, it i would agree that that being the main purpose of all of the data being collected is kind of like well i think yancy says it he calls it boring yeah he's not saying it's like useless it's just not very interesting yeah so what does Yancy suggest?
1: And what he's saying is that how can we utilize all this data we're collecting to build, for example, better public policies? So how can I assess your quality of life and then utilize algorithms to figure out something to make your life better? And I think an easy one might be, oh, well, I say easy, but one that might provide value is how do you optimize public transportation? Mm. And how can I make it so that, you know, your job or your commute to your job is optimized in a way where you're not fighting traffic or you have a seat to sit down at when you're riding the bus or whatnot. Uh, other things could be, how can I improve, I don't know, your diet, right? How can I, how can I take stock of your diet and your lifestyle to prescribe something that will improve your lifestyle and how you feel every day? The, those two examples are ones that I came up with, but they represent something that's inherently more positive.
0: There's one that I've just been reminded of, which I feel like I might have already said on this podcast before. It comes from this book called Invisible Woman Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. And the author, Caroline Creato Perez, brings up an example of snow plowing patterns in Sweden. When you were talking about commuting, this is what it remi- reminded me of. And basically, they discovered that the Way men and women do driving patterns when it's like heavy snow out is different. And actually, if you plow the roads that in general women use more, which is for like taking kids to school, you know, running their errands, it is economically beneficial for the city because their pattern had been to plow like the main roads that men use to get to work. Again, generalization specific to this town. Um, but it was resulting in a lot of like hospital hospitalizations yeah and they looked they you know ran i guess algorithms essentially on the data and figured out that if they plow these other roads that were actually mainly used by women they would reduce hospitalizations and therefore the cost on the city so i thought that was super cool does
1: that make sense no it's it's totally just checking out like
0: explain that properly yeah yeah i mean that's exciting to me
1: This is an aside but then it makes me wonder why like, are, they, are women getting in more accidents on unplowed roads? Yeah. Basically. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Women are getting in more accidents on unplowed roads.
1: So, but what's the flip side of males getting in accidents? Be, like, is there like a net positive impact because women- I
0: assume people are going to get into accidents regardless. Yeah. Because of heavy snows. But it's like, how can you make it fewer? How can you minimize it?
1: Or because the- I'm making this up. Primary caretaker-
0: yeah, that's should true. Should be present. Or maybe there was more flexibility in terms of, you know, men going to work on those days versus, you know, women having to take kids to school or pick up babies or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've just said this in brief. There is more detail. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um So why
0: were you interested in this?
1: In part, actually, this was something that our community really wanted to hear and If I look back on the role algorithms play, we've spoken at length as anyone who creates and is subject to sharing their stuff. It's like there's a whole industry that's built around cracking the algorithm and figuring out how do I circumvent it or not circumvent, but how do I play nicely with it? Yeah. And I find that both frustrating and interesting at the same time.
0: Oh, it totally is. It's
1: very paradoxical, right? Um, It's
0: like on a very basic level, even if you're not changing what your work is, you still spend some portion of your energy figuring out, is there a difference between what day or time I post, how many words I post, what hashtags I use, things like that. And then on a a more nefarious level, you know, how does it affect the work that we're actually making?
1: Yeah. And I think in general, like, Algorithms exist because they sort through all the data in hopes of making sense of it. Right. But what I do find interesting is that in light of this shifting value system, where we both demand demand greater accountability from our algorithms, and also have a certain light, a certain different perspective on what we feel is important. So if I go back to the original table, right, that had old versus new growth systems what i think is really interesting is that in light of that how do we determine what we prioritize for assuming mm-hmm. that's what algorithms do they're there to prioritize uh an an outcome mm-hmm. right and help create an outcome so who determines what's the outcome that we should go after uh what happens if that changes and how do you reflect this in an international environment since a lot of data collection happens across various borders right Mm -hmm. so how does google work for something that's in france versus something that's in hong kong versus something that's in canada right um and i and i think also it's like that table because one thing that we also recognize in life is that maybe everything is quantifiable but not everything is as cleanly quantifiable as we think it is sure right like Mood itself is hard to quantify. I mean, you and I could, you know, be asked, Are you happy or sad today? And maybe I'm physically tired and I'm too lazy to write like a 500 word essay on it, but doesn't mean I'm not happy. Yeah. Right. I think there's a lot of weird sort of nuances that go into determining that. And that's the part I find most interesting is because when I go back to that initial discussion we had, it was about creating accountability by positioning this algorithm as decisions made by a human now how do you entrust this sort of algorithmic gatekeeper to make the right decisions and is that something that we soon integrate into a public discussion because ultimately like if our goal is for example to like well i mean this gets really complex right because there has to be an underlying value of of STEM, like science, technology, engineering, math, et cetera. Yeah. What I'm you don't value that as a culture and society. And I may say this, you know, in a sort yeah, of, yeah,
2: yeah, sure. Right.
1: Because that's sort of the defining path we're gonna walk along. Or we need to be, we need to be in servit not servitude, but we need to actually see value in how they dissect an, a problem. Yeah. Right.
0: You have to believe in it,
1: you have to believe in it, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, no, definitely. The reason I'm like furrowing my brow over here is because a lot of algorithms are made by private companies, and we use all of these private products, like Google, like Google search. it's it feels like a utility because we all use it and we're so reliant on it. but actually, ultimately, it's made by this private company, yeah, so I, I don't know realistically, you know, how does that become democratic in any way? I mean, you can say that you want Google to prioritize like things on the right side of that chart, but they don't, they're not necessarily they're not accountable. Yeah. To doing yeah. it.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's just that in some ways, like if you look at the argument between public versus private, the way in which you can seek. Certain access to certain things differs, and it's both good and bad. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, as a private company, your you can build a whole system around the specific tracking of something, mm-hmm. right? It just as like, you know, Facebook has done a system to track user behavior for the purpose of selling more advertisements, mm-hmm. but your local government or your your federal government, whatever, does not exist to serve you ads so then they have no incentive or there's a misalignment but you could also argue that the data collected by these massive platforms could in theory be applied to
0: things that are for the public good
1: exactly so that that gets really complicated right yeah
0: but i I also so out of my area of expertise well i mean it makes me think of tracking and tracing for covid yeah right which i also think of early discussions about how governments not the u.s like in general around the world governments could have asked private companies for their help because like you said private companies have already like perfected tracking people based off of all of these different mm-hmm. things but not a lot of that happened yeah i think there were some was there eventually an agreement between Apple and the US government? I
1: don't recall. I think there was some sort of like opt-in, but I don't yeah. think it was successful enough no. for because you're not hearing about it right now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Because
1: I also think from a societal level, like you and I are different people and we might also value we might also value things differently. So for example, if the government believes that hey, you should leave a very monotonous but long living life that, you know, sees you to the age of 90 versus maybe that person over there is like, hey, I want to live my hardest, most fun, most bon vivant life and and pass away at the age of 60. Like mm-hmm. your lifestyle decisions will look very different in a quantifiable manner. Sure. Right. Yeah. And then it gets into this very like uncertain discussion around who sets. What is the the cultural norm, because the cultural norm suddenly is aligning with the outcome of the algorithm, yeah.
0: and that's where
1: it gets really frustrating, not frustrating it' gets, it's very
0: I feel like my head is starting to hurt, yeah, I was going to say, w- even though I think when we mostly talk about algorithms, like among each other, we're talking about social media, actually, there are public utilities, right, like electricity and water, which again, I feel this is totally out of my wheelhouse, but surely. There are algorithms that can be used in those areas as well mm-hmm. to better those systems. I
2: Yeah. Of and course. Maybe they already are. Yeah. Right.
0: In terms of like they
1: would know what are the peak hours of energy usage. Yeah. They modify their pricing based off of that, etc. Yeah.
0: Um, but I don't I also feel like the subject hopefully, I think one of my takes on it is like the subject of data is more often in the news in an understandable way Mm -hmm. because i feel like people have the perception that it is too dense to really get and then like newscasting doesn't prioritize like putting that information out there
1: i i do recall you know back in the hypey days when we used to look at traffic and what did well and you used to think that hey this did really well. We should do more of it. So it could be like scantily clad women in a bikini. <laughs> it could be more supreme, right? Sure, yeah. But you also
0: more supreme
1: realize that that itself has-
0: Kanye, anything Kanye. Yeah, like
1: anything Kanye has a ceiling to it. So it's almost like a matter of letting the algorithm being overly dictatorial mm. in terms of where you go. And then when it stops working, it's like- it soon is now pushing you in a slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. So that's how I feel. Like algorithms, when optimized for, in terms of what we create as "quote unquote" creators, that is inevitably the. It's less about maybe the influence of influencers so much as the the sort of broad sweeping herd of influencers. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Because as an influencer. If something's trendy, I'll jump on that trend. And soon I push in a certain way. I kill that trend. And somewhere somewhere along the lines, some other trend pops up from that. And that in itself is dictating culture. It's actually maybe less about just one individual going off and being, hey, that's really cool. Because they need critical mass for it to go big.
0: Yeah. Sure. I think about that, you know, going back to the subject of creators and the algorithm. um, I feel like we've said this so many times, but you know, how do you make things without the influence of other people and algorithm is like the influence of other people. Yeah. But phrased differently. Yeah. Essentially. That's valid. Quantified into numbers, into data. Yeah.
1: I like even on a personal level, I was just like, I never ever use hashtags on Instagram. but I was like, I'll just try it out. And I remember. I had one or two posts that definitely did better than usual. And then when I continued using it, I was like, oh, it didn't. It wasn't like a sustained boost, right? And it also makes you question like, well, if anything actually makes it a bit better in a way. The reason why it makes it better is because like, well, it doesn't make it better. I don't know. Like in terms of personal being self, like not. The
0: fact that the hashtags worked and then didn't work. Yeah. Like that observation.
1: Well, but it also it also becomes a little bit more challenging because. What if you really like a photo? Like, I mean, for the most part, people that are posting things on social media do it because they they like it.
0: I think right? for your well, personal well being, yeah. the tricky thing is how do you have peace with things not performing consistently. Like, how do you not pay attention to that, essentially? Like, how do you accept that the algorithm will treat your content differently at different times? Yeah. Okay, but then also that human desire, like balancing out that human desire of wanting things to do better. Yeah. Like, I think that's the struggle here. Yeah. Like, oh, I accept that the algorithm is gonna treat my content differently on any given day, but I also, I'm a human making things and I want to improve and I want to see improvement. Yeah, uh, I don't know. No, no answer. For no me. answer. <laughs> I just accept that that's like a dilemma.
1: You mentioned that your topic has some relevancy to this. Should we move on?
0: Yeah, let's do it. All right. My topic today is kind of a continuation of algorithm and algorithm-influenced behavior, but the news item, the headline, is that Instagram has released a universal update that goes all in on shopping. So last week, Instagram updated their app to put a shopping tab and a reels tab on the homepage, and they moved the likes and notifications button to the top right next to the DMs, I mean, this has been reported by a bunch of news sites. This update happening, but there's a main article I'm referring to, which is in Jezebel, written by Hazel Sills. A
1: question: Did you have any challenges navigating the new layout, or have you been so accustomed to things changing and like it? There's no there's It's pretty straightforward. Like I'm just wondering how you react to layout. I changes. had no
0: personal issues with it. I don't look at reels I've never looked at reels in the history of using the app so I've not started looking at it now
1: Wait reels
0: R E E L S They're short term they short form videos is the TikTok competitor on Instagram
1: Wait it's different from Instagram stories Yes Yeah I-
0: I know, it's weird. Okay, it's very, it's, it's funny because the Instagram product person came out and said that they were still at the core minimal, like that at the core, they were still being true to their minimal nature. And I was like, to hell you are because it's so complicated. So Instagram basically has three video formats. Stories. IGTV. IGTV and Reels. And Stories is... We all know like the shortest form and then reels is like mid content like TikTok. Okay? What do I Where
1: do I see it?
0: So anyway, Jezebel had this quote about the update that the app has reached its final dismal form QVC for a digital age influencer approved favorites hanging in the windows of the newly opened digital mall. Instagram had actually initially rolled out this update as a test in July. So folks probably already saw some of it beforehand. And Jezebel says, you know, this is kind of a continuation of your subject. Jezebel says Instagram is basically designed to mine user data to better sell ads back to them, which Yancy said is the most boring application of data. And I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. I think that that's like IG's main focus. I would have to say IG's main focus is revenue, right? So what has worked for them so far? is ads it is just like straight ads ads Mm -hmm. in your feed ads in your stories ads in your reels etc but this new play is um like the evolution of ads into shopping so it's not really so much as an ad as just like pushing people to buy more things yeah yeah they're still mining user data, I'm sure, to like serve you products that they think you'll want to buy. But it's almost like removing the ad level, like just putting you inside the mall instead of like putting you on the highway driving past a billboard.
1: In some ways they could double dip because they could serve you an ad and then push you to the Instagram store and then take a commission and take a cut off of, you know, if it's a $100 pair of sneakers, maybe they take 30%. I forget yeah. I don't know what No, sure.
0: Yeah, no, totally. They, I mean, there's so many ways this could happen. Like the real world metaphor is all within one app. They, you know, have you walk past a person wearing an outfit and then they have you walk past a billboard with like the shop that sells that outfit. And then you wind up at the shop itself where the outfit is on sale. Okay. All in one go. You don't have to ever leave the comfort. And somehow
1: there's the potential that someone that. You followed so closely, you might consider like a quasi-friend. I mean like an influencer, right? Mm -hmm. Is also wearing it. Yeah. So there's like multiple levels of inception.
0: Totally. Yeah. It's the people that you know as well. (laughs) Whichever is most effective, essentially.
1: Yeah. Like this is something that for myself, I've been thinking about it a lot recently. And it's actually like the subject of my editor's letter this month. But it's just, it seems like. The most creative part of the world of social media is not necessarily the content. It's creatively and quickly problem solving for the platform. So like the most creative aspect. That's
0: so sad. That makes me so sad yeah. though.
1: Well, let me let me like it.
0: Okay, it's like a that little
1: bit ish. complex, but what I mean is like basically you're trying to create something. It's not necessarily things that you believe in, but it's things that you know fit the formula of success based on the rules laid out by like instagram or twitter but to be honest all their goals are relatively the same right it's like engagement it's time spent it's like you know
0: yeah i'm sad but it's
1: that to me is like something i've come to try to come to terms with i mean it sounds like it's it's some like massive thing i'm dealing with it's not it's just more that
0: I mean, I think I've come to terms with with it professionally because this is part of our professional jobs and part of a lot of people's jobs.
1: Yeah, they might be listening to this podcast. Exactly.
0: It's an element of our work. And we can't just be like, we're not going to do this anymore. Like, it's not. I mean, I guess technically you could, but also realistically, you can't be like, we're just going to not do social media anymore. Right. So I accept that it's part of our jobs and it's part of, you know, the fabric of life in that way. But I did have a question for you, which is, what do you think you are turning to Instagram for personally, if anything?
1: This is probably the most challenging thing for a lot of people that go through this experience with something that they know is like not good for them, but they just don't know how or why they continue to like go into it. Mm. Like, is it entertainment? yeah, I guess it is entertainment. That's almost purely that. I mean, I still really enjoy looking at like photos that I feel are technically hard to create. Right. I think there's some artistry there. And, you know, I look at what I follow and a lot of it. Yeah, they're friends, but they're also things that for me personally, like, yes, I take photos, blah, blah, blah. But like, I've never seen myself on that sort of like, oh yeah, this is my full-on job, and I like, I still like understanding, dissecting the artistry of it, and I think that that's probably my romantic answer, but
2: Good the real, answer. the
1: real reason why I do it is just out of habit, right?
2: Oh, okay. and
1: there are times when I definitely dip in and out, like I don't use it as much as I used to, mm. but I also think that perhaps you've I've needed to change how I look at it and you know this has been mentioned for some time it's like Instagram as content maybe we're just like whatever we don't really think that much about it but it's just become a messaging platform Mm. like I I honestly think like what's up
0: you mean when you say messaging platform
1: I yeah this is really bad because like there's there's some emails I know I've received and like if you hit me up on on DM I probably would have answered right away but in, but it's just like that sort of conditioning.
0: You do realize by saying this on this podcast that anyone listening to this will now DM yeah, you instead of DM emailing me. you.
1: Yeah. But I don't get that many DMs. So it's, it's manageable right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. It's like maybe the value for Instagram is now changing a little bit where yeah. it's more of a place of discussion. And it's, it's the Instagram moments. And I say moments as a catch-all for all the content you might interact with that serves as the starting point for a conversation. Mm-hmm. That's a seed, right?
0: Sure. Yeah. What about you? I think the way I've personally used Instagram has changed as well. There's also a messaging element to it. And it's funny because I stopped using Facebook about two years ago. And one of the things I gave up with that was like, Whoever messages me there or would have like, that's gone, you know, those people won't now, but obviously now
2: they they can't find me on Instagram
0: in the same way, which is fine. Um, I've also like DM'd people on Instagram because I didn't have their email and I used it in that same way. And then I've also started using it more to get updates on events, which I guess was like the old purpose of Facebook as Mm. well. So, like, there's this festival I'm interested in happening later in December, and I followed their account because I wanted to be sure I knew, like, when they were, you know, releasing events.
2: Yeah.
0: Super boring. But just, like, I guess in some ways that's a newsletter replacement.
1: What's interesting is that despite the fact that we put confidence in the algorithm to serve us what we want, I can count numerous times where... There's something I enjoyed seeing, but for whatever reason, like it just disappeared.
2: Oh. and
1: on a psychological level, I wanted to continue seeing it. But somehow my inputs suggest I didn't want to see it.
0: That's also depressing,
1: yeah, but you've experienced the same thing, I'm sure. It's like
0: I mean, I feel like if I did, I already forgot about it. So maybe yeah. that's like a blessing of my brain. um at least like this specific example in terms of the festival. I, I still get their posts. So thankfully I'm still getting updated on this one yeah. thing that I want to get updated on. Yeah,
1: there's this artist who over the last few, you know, weeks, let's say, I mean, he's a consistent updater. Is that even yeah, I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but like basically he so there's this artist Sure,
0: just like frequently yeah. posts. So
1: there's this artist that I follow who's like an artist musician and he updates quite frequently and then I just recently saw one of his posts and one of the comments that was the most highlighted was like, were you shadow banned? Uh, This is the first time I've seen your post in like two weeks. And it was just ironic because I was going through the exact same experience. So I don't know, I don't, I think at this point it's just like.
0: That's frustrating on the receiving end. You know, earlier in your subject, we talked about being a creator and like not knowing if people are getting served your ads. And then it's also frustrating on the end where you want to know about a creator and then you don't.
1: Knowing what you know about how to like unpack and like understand the algorithm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Would you ever try given the resources to like understand it because you wanted to like take whatever outcome came from that to push people into something you believed in. So like let's say hypothetically you knew you could find a way to to sell um, I don't know, some product, right? And you could do it at mass scale in hopes of taking that money and transferring it into some other project or that yeah. visibility. Would you do that?
0: Yes. I don't think that was a difficult question.
1: But I, I think that but the I reason I think... bring it because there's ethical things that might come up on the basis that you need to potentially walk. Because don't you think that to achieve any level of like success in social media that it often comes down to some sort of ethical quandary. This is the thing I find really challenging is to like, there's always this split second analysis I always go through. It's like, this is whack. Why am I doing this? But then I'm like, well, everything soon has become almost like an experiment.
0: First of all, since we're talking about Instagram specifically, there is a limit to how much we can understand about how Instagram works. And so the only way you could perfectly understand it is if the actual engineers themselves We're in front of you and we're allowed to walk you through everything, all of the decisions that are made. But that doesn't exist. Okay. Or that's not something available to me except in this like hypothetical situation. So, what you can do is you can use all these different tools, all these different like analytical tools that purportedly give you access to different types of segments on social media. So, you can try to create some kind of like target audience Mm -hmm. right and i don't feel that is an ethical problem for me yeah doing that like i don't feel conflicted yeah about it i mean we're not talking about what product we're selling but i feel more conflicted depending on the thing that i am selling yeah like i don't feel as conflicted about like serving people ads but I would feel conflicted about what type of thing I am advertising. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about like fast food and cigarettes in the past, like things like that. Yeah. You know, but I feel like that's kind of not the point right now. If we're talking about like, am I willing to just take advantage of the algorithm if I had that power? Like I would do it.
2: Mm.
0: I don't feel troubled personally if, if I believed in what I'm putting in front of people. Something else I found interesting about this Jezebel article was that they kind of did like a quick review of Instagram history. I completely forgot that Instagram was first launched in 2010. So it's been 10 years. Crazy. I know. Right. Yeah, It felt weird. Longer or shorter. Felt longer than I thought. Um, I don't know why exactly. And then it, felt kind of strange like reading this Jezebel article and being reminded of what Instagram used to be, which was like minimal, not a lot of text, no ads, Polaroid filters, yeah. photos you shot in the app. And then it was just like thinking about this evolution of the platform involving advertising. So bringing in ads as early as like 2013 and then you know the rise of influencers 2014 and 15, and then clearly, like, I think in the last two years, just ads in every corner. So I just was thinking about, I had this conversation with a coworker who believes that it's like, it's going to be a drop-off at this point in terms of users and like use time. And my question to you is whether you feel the same way. And whether
1: I'm sure that I've had a drop off, but also it's because there's been replacements. But I also think that if you look at the overarching thing, you're just kind of pushing the shit around, right? Like you, you're exchanging Instagram to go to like TikTok or Reddit, where they have the same underlying premise behind their business. So you're not really bettering yourself.
0: You don't think so? You I don't mean- think there there's a moment though?
1: Where you just say, F this. I mean, I think that two things, you just either go to a different platform or other more important things take over your life by virtue of just growing up, starting a family, more responsibility in a job. Sure,
0: sure. But I feel like the platform switching, because I don't think everything we do on social media is necessarily bad, like is necessarily bad for us personally. But I think that there, even if you switch to like TikTok, say, um, which obviously, yeah, like you said, also depends on revenue in a very similar matter. There's still that moment right now where it's not, you know, like Instagram, like a ten-year-old product, yeah. essentially. I think there's a difference there. Yeah. So I was going to ask you where you might move to if you didn't move to something.
1: I mean, I would like to move to things that I believe to be more rewarding Mm. i just need to do it like reading or something you Mm -hmm. know like reading books sorry not reading but reading books right stuff like that
0: oh my last addendum was do you remember a couple weeks ago you had a article in the briefing about live shopping yes so i just wanted to sneak it in here at the end because i thought this is relevant and also a trend that will probably get bigger and essentially, it's QVC, but on our phones, QVC being those um, shopping network channels in North America where people just like sell you products and say, call this number now. Yeah. Um, so essentially that, but on Instagram, other social media platforms, it's really big in China. Yeah. Millions, literally tens of millions of people tune in to shopping live streams every month. And it's mostly influencers who are talking about products. And then while they're talking about it, you can basically buy that product. Yeah. I, my comment in our notes is just like, this depresses the shit out of me because I think the problem to me is not that people are talking about what they love and selling it, but that the products that they're selling are not interesting to who though to me
1: well that's the thing it's like <laughs> i mean the, the the thing that i feel is basically what most creative person is going through right now creative anyone who like works and creates things whatever yeah. blah, blah blah. is that you're basically funneling wealth yeah you make money through something you might not really fully believe in yeah to do something you really care about and that just creates a perpetual cycle where you know what it's like we've talked about this like if you don't go and do something on your own accord, with shitloads of passion, you'll never get noticed. To turn your art into a monetizable thing, and
2: yeah. then
1: by virtue of that, you take that to buy you more free time to do what you love, and then it just sort of like you can't see me, but I'm just basically drawing like a circle that goes upwards, like <laughs> a spiral that goes upwards. It's just the reality, like I and it, you yeah. know the thing that's most I don't know if it's just me, but I and because I've just looked at it so many things because it was bo- it was originally a personal interest but now it's almost wearing on me psychologically because it feels like that's all there is is about understanding the form or trying to dissect the formula it's like a math equation i'm trying to figure out
0: uh, yeah i mean at the top of this topic you said that was the most interesting creative problem solving right now
1: yeah and I. But you're I, also
0: saying it's wearing on you
1: it's wearing on me because i feel like all this shit that i i look at i'm like Yes, I'm. I'm gaining this "quote unquote" knowledge, but I always I also wonder if, like, what does it mean in the grand grand scheme of things? Like, what do I really like? It's almost like pushing me to think about what I care about.
0: Do you think it's wearing on you possibly because it's reactive?
1: I think it's per, it. It perhaps comes down to the fact that things are frustrating. When you don't see the ability to change it. Mm. And I think that I was also analyzing like boredom, Mm -hmm. right? Boredom itself is, you know, your inability to find something better to do, right? And nothing, you know, nothing that surrounds you is something you feel passionate about enough to go and pursue. And I always look at that as a problem because there's so many things around like, why am I not going and like figuring out what my next thing is? And like, Maybe it's a phase too, right? It's like, it's not that everything ebbs and flows and maybe it's understanding that, hey, you know, this is a phase and, you know, there are things I, I, I think are really interesting, but there are certain things now that I feel are quite turnkey and easy and something that I like, I know are very difficult, but the difficult things that I care the most about, I also question at what point can I have that same meaningful, like, trajectory that I want to have within? Mm. Right. If you look back, like, you know, I, I've been, it's no secret. Like, if I look at the trajectory of making, I'm sure we all thought it would be like something else mm-hmm. five years later, and it's not. And it's like, well, what do I want it to be now? And if I want to get it there, how easy or hard, how risky it is. And maybe I'm a little bit more risk adverse now because I think that I look at what it is as a product. And I also recognize how hard it is to build a, like, a, like a media company of a certain scale. Like, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in recent times is just like this carving out of the middle. Either you're like this one man band that has a sub stack or you get gobbled up by the New York Times. Yeah. Right. Obviously making is much closer to the Substack, but. Yeah. It's also like, you know, how do you get to a point where you're sustainable and you do things you care about. So it's like, that's the thing that I've also recognized is that I'm just in this cycle. Adam Studios brings in client work. I plow it back into Macon. And then hopefully there's, there's some synergy there. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But then it's like, what is that sort of law of thermodynamics where things are being lost in that process? There's no answer to that. Don't get me wrong. And I don't want to sound down about Like, fuck, man, like, I would not trade what I do right now for pretty much anything. Right. But I'm just saying, like, I need to, I, I when I start thinking too much about the formula and analyzing, dissecting the formula, I almost think that maybe my value now is to, like, dissect and understand the formula and the structure so that someone else can, like, take that and, leverage that into something interesting
2: mm.
1: but then something interesting for the most part just all goes down the same sort of commercialized route where if you're a great artist you will get commercialized you will go make a toy you will go yeah. make a t-shirt so that's what i'm saying there's a formula right and this is a total like i'm sorry i'm going on like a rant here no, but it's fine so i was talking to a friend today and i was like oh we were talking about the whole pharrell human race thing and i thought it was very interesting because i was like pharrell after music and after BBC, like Billionaire Boys Club, his clothing label. There wasn't anything inherently that he like flat out owned. It was all collaboration after collaboration. And I was like, oh, if, uh, that's pretty interesting. But like now it's finally the time because he has to understand that he himself is the the asset, right? He can he yeah. can put out human race as a skincare line. But the reality is that once he's perfected this formula of how to create a consumer packaged good, dude, start a drink company. Start I don't know, like a sandal company started like a whatever, anything. Right. And basically it, I don't know. Obviously I I don't know him personally to know what was the lull, or maybe it was just easier for me to plug into your system as in like you as a collaborator, Adidas, whatever luxury French bag company, et cetera. Right. But now it's like, it's a formula. Like even I was able to speak to somebody and like, that's, you know, maybe that works closely with Pharrell and be like, Hey, this is what I think is like, they're going to be like a, real outcome he's like yeah like this is the value that the creator slash the celebrity has right now right and it's like it's just a formula really but it's like the formula that itself has things that certain people have access to and certain people don't like not everyone has like a multi-million person instagram account a- access to a shitload of capital yeah access to great talent right not everyone has that but what yeah. i'm saying is that like you kind of understand that these are the things that make up the cake you're going to bake. Now, source the best you can for each ingredient and there, call it a day.
0: Yeah. I mean, way. when you put it that way, everything sounds boring. And I think maybe it's
1: my own fault, to be honest, to just like overly atomize everything because I've seen a good amount of the atomization and seen the process. Well, I mean,
0: but like, why, why wouldn't you do that? You know, if it's there, if it's there for analysis in that way, and can be broken down and capitalized on, then that makes sense. That's efficiency, but is not very personally rewarding.
1: Efficiency is just so boring, right? This is what we've, this is kind of the whole underlying tone of this is like, we want to get to a point where the efficiency is not necessarily the end all be all but yeah, we also want to be able to create things that we're valued for so like can we create things we're valued for without the efficiency which I think is actually quite difficult because you have to be at some level like because there's no commercialization by something that's not optimized for release into a broader market right so like unless you're are truly that artist and even then we know artists that are living don't command the same amount as like an artist has passed so there's all these things that like i don't know this is getting like super complex but you kind of understand like this is me almost like brain dumping
0: yeah 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 yeah
1: Yeah. that that actually all drive back to the two topics we talked about
0: yeah i mean i'm not trying to solve a problem because i don't think this is really like a problem that needs solving but i do think about you know what what can you do as an individual to also feel personally interested in your creative work and i think most recently what i've come upon is that that interest has to be separate from how you make money and yeah i know that that is not sustainable for everyone and also probably not ideal like but i think it just has to be at this point because within that system that you talk about where you you know, you understand how a system works and you break down, you know, this is how to solve this problem and then just like plug it in all of the different, you know, how it's related to whatever project you're currently working on. Then there's no, there's no possibility of like randomness or something of yourself there. So it feels like the only way to get that is to do something that's outside of that system. Yeah. That is that you don't plan on putting it into it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good place to cap things off for the day. If you're interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories, focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at making.com. M-A-E-K-A-N dot com.
1: You can also subscribe to us to your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via Patreon.com slash Macon.
0: Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Sharice at Macon.com, C-H-A-R-I-S, or Eugene at Eugene at Macon.com, E-U-G-E-N-E. We love hearing from you.
1: I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up. you understand what we're arguing about yeah you do right i do and but you should your... explain
0: it for people who maybe didn't listen to the so last, last episode week,
1: we somehow got on the topic of banter and how british banter is like a thing Like british
0: banter is defined maybe differently
1: exactly from the way
0: other people globally define banter or specifically how north americans I would, define north banter. americans
1: because i think that it's a you can't really say commonwealth because canada's part of commonwealth like The Canadian definition of banter follows more closely American banter. And it's more like a jovial, friendly conversation.
0: Basically, this was a linguistics argument. Yes. Banter is defined differently in different countries. But then also,
1: like, we started asking because my friend who said I was wrong was like, I I was going to London, like, every so often, like, I know what banter is. But I was like, well, doesn't I don't know if that's the right. I didn't, well how I Okay this? anyway Yes please out, go in and fix this for me. He pulled out
0: his own UK experience to back up his POV and then Eugene and I because we have too much time on our hands, what's up to two other friends in the UK for their contribution.
1: I don't know if it makes a difference and I'm willing to concede but it's, I also wonder if the definition of banter is a socioeconomic thing as well.
0: Oh damn, that is adding a layer.
1: Well, I just don't know. And it's more like I don't know, it's like an interesting. Like if you No, how do I put this? It's like
0: <sighs> All right. I wanna read what Seth said. Yes. So I asked him, what's your definition of banter? He said, This cracked me up when I heard it on the pod. So we already knew what we're talking about. Said, annoyingly, I think it's super subjective, but I would say it's lighthearted but can still be quite savage. Have you seen the TikToks where it's two people going, it's the XYZ for me, in turn, until one of them is offended? Up to the point where someone is offended, that's all banter. Trolling is purposely cruel. Banter shouldn't make you cry, but probably can.
1: Yeah, So, but it's still making fun of somebody.
0: Yes, definitely. I mean, the think the last line is really good. Banter shouldn't make you cry, but it probably can.
1: Because for me, banter is just different. It's like, I think they banter in North Amer- in the North American sense and in the British sense both share the commonality of being part of a conversation. Like it's a verb, right? Yes. Like bantering them. But then that's where they diverge. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. Like the content is different.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: All right. Good follow-up.
1: So wait, am I right?
0: Wait, what? I mean... <laughs> I'm not going to go on a podcast that I know Jason <laughs> listens to you and say, Eugene is right.
1: Because I am. I'll cut this part out and I will privately send it to him. But also, he did send me one. He did send me one recording that neither of us felt that strongly about. Yes. But why is that? What didn't you like? Was it non-convincing? What, what, what part of this response did you not
0: well, was what like, was non-convincing is the fact that the voice recording he sent referred to banter being different in different scenarios. So like workplace banter, flirty banter, et cetera. And in that case, I feel like banter was just a synonym for chat, like C-H-A-T, the word chat. Like, yeah. like conversation, essentially. It was not about like the content of ribbing someone. Yeah.
1: Anyways, Jason, that's three times you've been wrong in, like, two weeks.
0: This is now, like, a podcast that subtweets, but also not subtweets because we just say his name.
1: Yeah. Anyways. All right. Oh, and then on top of that, I got in this argument right before bed with Nicole because I was like, yo, man, nah, I don't want to talk about it. But we were but you got to tell
0: me. You, you got to tell okay, me no. what your argument is about. <laughs> we about
1: I'm like, well, she's like, you always fight with the dumbest shit, but I'm like, it's like practice. It's like practice, like analyzing debating so like for example i it's like a it's almost like an art project in a way so if you go and you take photos on your own accord and your own interest
0: what are you practicing for
1: well i mean it's analysis right you're basically learning how to deconstruct analyze and reform something into something that makes sense okay right so then when you go into like a client meeting or something you're like hey you know what let's deconstruct this problem or this this Lack of consensus, and how do we arrive at consensus? Seems like
0: a lot of emotional effort, in my opinion.
1: Well, no, it doesn't because I'm so used to it. It's like second nature now.
0: To argue about dumb shit.
1: Just to argue in general. Dude, yeah. I'm I'm just a grumpy old man now.
0: Yeah, clearly. We should just cut that bit out. The bit where you say you're a grumpy old man.
2: All right.